Welcome to the Truth About Your Health podcast, where it's our mission to expose the truth about your health to burnt out men and women so we can empower 100 million people to go from exhausted to energized. We do this by exposing the truth in all different areas of health and wellness on each podcast that you are simply just not being told. And this ultimately prevents you from having the abundance of energy that you are looking for. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition about the Truth About Your Health podcast, where we're on a mission to expose the truth about your health, especially for burnt out men and women so that they can be empowered to get their energy back and go from exhausted to energized. And we're really excited to do part two with my buddy, Don Moxley. Uh, We had part one, which we'll put in the show notes last August. We got into a deep dive, but just to introduce Don, he's the director in applied science and brand development at Longevity Labs in the United States. He's dedicated to helping people live vibrant, fulfilling lives at all ages, and he draws on his career as an athlete, a sports scientist, an instructor, lead educator, and now they are really diving deep into the science of autophagy, autophagy and longevity. So Don, thank you so much for being with us once again. Joel, I'm excited to be here and, and talk to your, your clan. Yeah, well, I'm excited to have you back because I actually rewatched, like I was mentioning earlier, our, our, our last interview, and we did really get into the autophagy and longevity and how you first, I mean, you had known about autophagy, but then when you got hired from Spermidine, you had to kind of get into the, the nitty gritty of autophagy and longevity. So maybe for some of the listeners that missed the first one or just don't quite understand what is autophagy and what is it related to longevity maybe kind of give us a a 101 on that don well yeah that's a that's a going and anyone that's interested in and again maximizing their health extending longevity it's really difficult to have that conversation or establish that strategy without having some kind of a strategy as it relates to autophagy so, you know, we'll start with the definition in, in autophagy in, in the Latin, it means self-eating. It's a self-cleaning process. It's a cleaning process in the cells that, um, that, you know, in our cells, uh, they sense whether there's nutrients coming in or not. Um, in our cells, we've got this little protein that's called an mTOR protein. And, and when, when mTOR senses that there's nutrients available, mTOR says, hey, let's get to work and let's make some protein. So it, it goes into the DNA, it pulls out a strip of uh, mRNA that goes into the ribosome. The ribosome starts bolting together amino acids to make proteins. Um, and then that protein gets folded in, a, in, a, in an organelle called the endoplasmic reticulum that gets folded. And, and not, not all the proteins are folded correctly. So even though it might be defined correctly, or there might be, you know, there might be a little change in it, not all those proteins go into, uh, into service. And if they don't, they just sit there in the cell. And, and what we start to take a look at, um, particularly as it relates to longevity, um, a lot of the diseases, a lot of the problems that we deal with uh, as we get older, morbidity, you know, the increase in, in, in lack of health, the increase in disease, which is morbidity and mortality, death, um, is a function of diseases that are related to a lack of autophagy. Um, we typically refer to most of these diseases as inflammation related. We call it inflammaging a lot of times I've seen in the press. But anytime that you have low autophagy, 
you have increased inflammation. Um, as you increase autophagy in the cells, you lower inflammation, you improve cellular performance. And this is at an immune level, at a neural level, at a, at a, at a myocardial level. Um, all of these are taking place as autophagy increases. And, and, and Joel, this is the benefit of fasting. You know, a lot of times, you know, people, they, they decide they're going to fast because they think they want to lose weight. It's about less calories. And, and the fact is, is that is that you don't, you don't have to have less calories necessarily. If you compress your eating into a tighter window, you, in fact, there was really good work done by Dr. Walter Longo that showed that if, you know, two people on the same diet, one uh, eats their, their calories over a shorter period of time, has increased health over the person that eats it over a longer period of time. Um, so just you know, when it comes to healthy lifestyle and promoting that, it's just so important to have a strategy as it relates to autophagy in your life, um, which basically means you don't eat sun up to sundown. Um, you know, you uh, spend, you know, try and compress your eating, you know, start by compressing into an eight hour window. Um, so that means you don't eat for 16, you sleep for eight, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 hours, and then two hours on the back of that and a few hours on the front of it. And you're, you're to 16 hours without eating. Um, and then you continually extend that. And, and there's a lot of health benefits that go with it as it relates to autophagy. Yeah, no, that's a great, great starting point and, and tipping off our, our conversation, just to kind of remind the reader in our last conversation, we were talking about how, research doesn't really hit the implementation till 15 to 17 years down the road. Yeah. And autophagy ultimately is a new concept, right? In 2017, uh, they won a, a Nobel Prize for its discovery. Exactly. And, and ultimately, the, the, it was a good switch or transition that you made. And switch, I use the, the metaphorical term in terms of switching between growth and repair and and, and recycling and regenerating. So maybe kind of talk about for the listener, like how mTOR and autophagy, which we talked about a little bit last time, but I'm happy to go into it again, is like how they do not coexist and why maybe having a compressed window allows for the mTOR to, to be turned off enough for the autophagy to be turned on enough. Well, you, you know, Joel, our bodies don't, our bodies like cycles. They like sleep and wake and feed and not feed. And there's a, and, and train, you know, we could, we call this, you know, hormesis. Um, there, there's, there's stimulus that we put in to disturb homeostasis to, and, and, and the body will respond to that. So this is fitting into that group of, of challenges or, or things that the, that the body, we evolved, we, we didn't evolve to have food around all the time. Um, and part of the benefit of that evolutionary process is the cellular cleaning process that takes place with autophagy. I mean, this, this is a benefit that comes from, you know, not having refrigerators in, you know, when we were hunter gatherers. Um, and, and, and we now live in a time when we have food, we have food available 24, seven, 365. Um, and if you take advantage of that, you're not, the cell is not able to take advantage of this. You stay in this mTOR driven cycle. You stay in this growth cycle. 
um, which for part of your life might be a good thing. You know, I remember when I w- w- was working with some high school football players or some high school athletes that wanted to gain weight. You know what? They eat small meals every two hours. And what that's doing, that's constantly driving mTOR development. You put work in on top of it. So you're building proteins like crazy then, um, you know, which as a child, as a, as a youth, that, that might be an acceptable process. We also have higher levels of natural um, autophagy taking place at that time too. And, you know, one of the questions I have, Joel, and I don't know if you've seen this, but I actually sent this to our, uh, to our research panel the other day that if we, you know, we, we can get mTOR stimulation, both from nutrients and from mechanical stimulation. So if I'm fasted and I strength train, I will get an mTOR stimulation from the strength training. So the, the, and I don't, and frankly, I don't know the answer to this yet, but I think it's a good question is that if I am fasted and I have downregulated mTOR activity and I have upregulated um, autophagy via the AMPK cycle, if I stimulate autophagy with a mechanical stress, excuse me, if I stimulate mTOR with a mechanical stress, will I have a co-activated mTOR and autophagy? I, I found that to be an interesting question. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing you said last time, which makes this so hard is how do you actually test, right? How do I test (laughs) autophagy and how do I test? I mean, you can do certainly insulin like growth factor and other markers for mTOR and growth. And you're right. There are different phases of our life. And you even mentioned last time you need to have muscle strength. It's one of the main qualities of healthy living as we get older. So you always want to have it to some extent. And unfortunately, the environment, even EMFs are shown to stimulate mTOR, iron oxidation, uh, antibiotics, hormones in our cattle, pesticides and sprays. I mean, you look left, right and center, high corn syrup, fructose, you know, all these things are stimulating growth like and that's why it's amazing when you look at pictures. I grew up in Canada and there was a Terry Fox run of a guy who ran across Canada. He's a Canadian hero with cancer with one leg. And you look at all the pictures and everyone's skinny. You know, and like everyone is lean and you look at the pictures now and, and there's a certain amount, like you said, in terms of we have refrigerators and we have light bulbs and we have Amazon Prime and, and, you, and we also have um, stimulation. Costco, Costco, that, side food, Costco size food deliveries. Yeah, right. Exactly. And it's just like there's just so much abundance. Uh, but I, I think to answer your question, I think that I always like the contrast theory, like if, if you have the frogs in the pot and they don't notice the temperature rising and uh, before you know it, they're bo- boiling, when you have that contrast theory of going from a cold tub to a hot tub, the hot tub's a lot hotter than it would have if you just went straight in there and vice versa. I think if you can intentionally turn off something, you're going to turn on something that much better. So I think if you accept, okay, I'm going to exercise in a fasted state. But once I turn on my mTOR, I ride that way for how many days I want to ride it for. And then I go back down underneath and do my uh, autophagy strategies. And I don't think it would be wise to, to do it every single day. I mean, you have the whole heavy duty. I don't really know if you remember Mike Menser and the heavy duty, the Dorian Yates and 
kill mm-hmm. yourself, one workout, go back six days later. It's kind of like you and I talked about that last time is the early biohackers were the, the weightlifters and they understood right. how things worked. I mean, what, what's your sense on that? Well, I think, it, listen, I, you know, I, I, I do a talk where I talk about the fact that, that, you know, biohacking is this weird term that we're all trying to figure out, you know, what, what do we need to biohack? And my answer to that question is yes. Um, and the reason is, is that, you know, when I do this lecture, I, I show, and, and I don't know if I talked about the killer whales last time. Um, but if you, if you look at, if you look at the picture of an orca that is in captivity, what you'll see is that their dorsal fin bends over. And then when you see an orca in the wild, it's dorsal fin is straight. And what we learned from that is that there's not enough environmental force in the aquarium that the orca lives in for it to express the DNA as it relates to a straight dorsal fin. Um, and, and, we, and we saw it with mammals and zoos. In the old zoos that were concrete blocks and bars on the front of the cage, those animals lived an average of three and a half years. They were neurotic. They had digestive diseases. There was, you know, they sound like humans today, right? Um, but you take that same animal and you put it into an enriched environment in a zoo, these new zoos, and they are living full lives. They are expressing their DNA through reproduction. They're, you know, it's this enriched environment. And so the question I have and I, I ask, and the reason we have to biohack is that we all live in aquariums. You know, we're filming this right now. And for the person watching this, you see, a, a, you know, I have a, the side of my office here is a, is a glass wall. And it's, it, what time is it? It's uh, 3.37 uh, in northern, I'm, I'm in central Ohio right now. So I'm way north of where you are. But um, we've got a low sun blowing in here. Um, and this is my aquarium wall. So the question is, what is the effect of the aquarium? So one of the effects is, is, it's, it's like pouring food into the aquarium. If you lived in this glass house and someone just poured food in all the time, you know what? You'd be overfed. And, and we tend to be overfed, um, undernutriated and overfed. We, it limits our movement. We don't move as much as we should. Now, it was three degrees this morning up here when I was outside uh, doing contrast therapy. Um, but uh, so I didn't need cold water. I was just using cold air um, in and out of the hot tub. But um but our movement, you know, we've got to get movement in. I didn't, I didn't have to walk to kill something today to eat. I had, I, you know, I didn't have to walk very far. I had to walk to the refrigerator, right? Um, I didn't have to get outside and, and adjust, you know, living in an aquarium, you know, it's, it's three degrees outside, but in my office, it's a good solid 65, 68 degrees. My body is not having to adjust to the cold. Um, all day. I, I did it this morning with contrast therapy, and that's a benefit. But, but again, it's the effect of the aquarium. And this is the chat. This is why we all have to think about biohacking. What is it about our biology that we need to change in order to ac- to account for the effect of this mechanical environment we live in? Uh, you know, control. I, I live in a house that's a ranch house. I don't have to step upstairs if I don't want to. So I never activate my iliopsoas living in my house. So if I don't do that and it spasms, then I'll wind up with a, with a, with a, um, uh, why can't I say the name of the nerve that runs down the back of your leg? Um, sciatica. Um, the sciatica. Yeah, I won't, I won't, I won't, I'll wind up with a sciatica or else I have to do exercises to stimulate that iliopsoas to keep it from spasming. Um, so, you know, again, it's the effect of the aquarium that we live in. That's the reason we have to biohack and you have to go back and check. Now you said something about measuring autophagy. 
we listen, we can only measure it in a research lab right now. We have to take cells out and we have to count things in the cells. It's not like we, it's, it's not like a red blood cell count or something like that we can do in a, a doctor's office, but you know, you can start to estimate um, autophagy. If you're, and you, listen, if you're in ketosis, you got to believe you're probably heading into autophagy too. And the deeper in ketosis that you are, the deeper in autophagy you are. Now we don't have a direct uh, correlate there, but I think it is a pretty good proxy for, you know, if, if you're, if you're ketotic, then you're probably in, in a, some level of um, uh, uh, autophagy. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say that, and that's a, it's a good test to be able to do. I'm still kind of wrapping my head around a good solid 68 degrees. I'd be like freezing <laughs> myself on that one. I gotta, I gotta turn it up a little bit higher than that. I've, I am post-traumatic living in Canada and wind chill factors. And now when I go back, people look at me like, what's wrong with you? And it's like, I, I can't do it. I just can't. So my, we're never my, near my, 68 near here, Don. <laughs> well, what's funny about that is, is, and we've talked about, it, I lived in Florida for a little over a year, not long ago, I was working down there. And um, I don't, I, my blood has not thinned out, I will take a northern winter over a southern uh, summer any day. So personally, so I, I, yeah. I tend to like well, the other one. Well, you know, what the thing is, you, to your point is we're engineered to adapt to our exactly. environment and we you use one stimuli too often and just like the lady that does the aerobics class every day she's not caught cross trained to do the stair climber or go for a vacation going downhill skiing it's like well i thought you worked out five days a week well your body got really efficient at doing it and now you're not impacting a hormetic stress to cause it to have to adapt and, and really, I think these are the biggest hormetic stressors that we could be doing is tapping into our, our pedigree, if you will, the way that our body's been engineered to live on a circadian rhythm and be in tune with the frequencies of the earth not, and, and be able to go through feast and famines with the way we've been engineered so that we can actually get into the cleansing, the self-eating, the debris removing and the support for healthy, healthy longevity. So, you know, sort of switching gears on there. One of the things you talked about, which I, we didn't get a chance to talk about last time, which I'd be maybe a little rabbit hole to go down was you had some experience with the endocannabinoid system and, and, and talking about that. And you can't talk about that without talking about autophagy. I think it's a really fascinating co connection that maybe some of the more sophisticated users or listeners to this conversation haven't really pieced together and, and understood the relationship or just in the general with those that are the looking for new information about their health and they heard about CBD or endocannabinoids and what's the connection, Don? I, I'm fascinated to well, know. What, yeah. it's a, it's, I, I wouldn't call it a connection. I think it's important. So when you look at, when you're looking at autophagy, you're looking at, you're looking at a cellular internal cellular level performance. Um, cells come together to make tissues, tissues and cells make organs. And, and then, so when you step up a level to the organ system, you have your nervous system. Um, that's an entire system of integrated nervous cells with different processes that go with one. Now, the, the important part, now they both, listen, the big rocks that we talked about, and, and let's review that for a second. When we start talking about health and performance, 
I talk about four big rocks that go into a jar. Uh, the four big rocks are movement. The hack for that is exercise. And there's other hacks. Um, I mean, heat can be, a, can be a hack. Cold can be a hack. So there's other ways to hack that. The second one is food. Um, and, and you want to get food as pristine as possible, as, as, as little processing as possible, as nutrient dense as possible. The, the third uh, rock is light. Um, knowing when to get light and what kind of light to get. You know, again, I'm up above the 40th parallel here. We don't go out in to get direct sunlight unless I'm getting it blasted through my window here. Um, I don't get that on my whole body uh, other than about three or four months a year when I can get out in a pair of shorts and, and not uh, get arrested. Um, but, um, you know, so we hack that with near infrared lights and, 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 and you know, I, I, listen, light's huge for me. We, it's, it's become a big part of, of my wife and I's lifestyle. And then, then finally, the fourth big rock is sleep. Um, in the absence of sleep, it all goes, it all goes away. And, and light affects sleep. Food affects sleep. Exercise affects sleep. These things are all inter, 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 uh, inter, 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 interconnected. And then finally, the, bot, the jar is purpose. Um, what is your purpose? Why are you here? What is it that wakes you up every morning? Um, and for me, it's important that those four big rocks in that jar get alignment. Um, with, with biohacking, a lot of times we get hung up on little things. We get hung up on what I call sand and gravel. And if you, if you fill your jar with sand and gravel, you never have time to get the whole, the big rocks in. But if you get the big rocks in, you can pour sand and gravel around those big rocks and just, and fill the jar even more. So when I start looking at this now, when we start looking at exercise, so exercise has a direct effect on cellular autophagy, that as we exercise more, we upregulate a, another sensing protein It's called AMPK, uh, AMPK, AMP kinase, which says, hey, we need to get some energy going. It downregulates autophagy, it, it downregulates mTOR, it upregulates autophagy. That's a good thing. But at the same time, when we exercise up at a system level, so let's go up to the nervous system. We have what's called the endocannabinoid system. It's part of our nervous system that really regulates how our nerves talk to each other. Um, and, and the place that I really see this coming together is that, you know, when your body needs nutrients, what is the signal it gives you, Joel? When you're, that you're hungry? That you're hungry. It says, hey, we need to get some nutrients. So it creates, a, the, 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 it creates hunger. When your, when your system is dehydrated, what is, the, what is the stimulus it gives you uh, when you're dehydrated? I got a gene variant for that one and kidney issues, <laughs> but I would imagine it's thirst, right? <laughs> thirst. Yeah, we're looking for thirst. So when the body is, when the body is signaling you with anxiety, okay, when you are anxious, what is the, the body's telling you to move, okay? One of the great things about movement, not only do we get the production of, of, of small proteins and small, and, and small um, uh, uh, transmitters, one's called BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. It's what, cattle, it's, it's what initiates learning, cellular uh, neurological learning. So we get BDNF, but we also get uh, the production of what's called anandamide. Anandamide is an endocannabinoid. It's a, it's a molecule that looks a lot like a cannabis molecule, um, but that goes into your, into your nervous system. It lowers anxiety, improves 
uh, transmission across cell synapses. It lowers anxiety. So I think of anxiety as a, as a sign, as an indicator that we need to move. Now, a lot of times we don't move and we think, oh, I'm anxious. I've got too much energy. I need to burn some energy. It has nothing to do with energy. It has everything to do with the need to get moving to produce anandamide to get this, to lower this anxiety, to improve the neural uh, communication. That's the real value that comes with that. So, you know, when we start talking about movement, movement affects both cellular level at an autophagy level, and, and it improves at a neural level, let alone what it does in the cardiovascular system, what it's doing in the liver, what it's doing uh, there, you know, it's, it's hitting a lot of, at a system level, not a cellular level as well. Is that, uh, is that what you're thinking about? Yeah, I mean, no, listen, it's great. I, I'm not even thinking about, but I just wanted elucidation on where, where's the connectivity literally and, you know, scientifically. I, I, I like the concept of not just movement, but I would talk about blood flow, right, and oxygenation. And then I sure. would also take that one further in terms of ATP production, right? Like if we under under stress, the most important variable of of meeting that stress is having enough gas in the tank. And the way we get gas in the tank when we're metabolically flexible is by burning uh, fat through oxygenation of it, right? And that requires right. a lot of oxidative, you know, phosphorylation. And if you're if you're a glucose burner, you're not going to do that. And so you need that blood flow. And interestingly enough, that's what stimulates nitric oxide, which is a chemical messenger as well. So chemical messengers, I hadn't put it together. And I know there are some companies I'll talk to you after the interview that are looking at combining AMP case stimulators with some of those endocannabinoids. And now it makes sense to me as to, as to why. So, um, but one of the interesting things you mentioned last time, and you just talked about it today too, and I wanted your, your insight on it was, one of the things that impacts your insulin levels so much better than fasting is the is the infrared and uh, or the juve. So t tell me like what you think the the reason is for that because I'm under these lights all the time and I'm always running a little high on my glucose. I got the continual glucose monitor and you, you know I just it's like the digital world that we live in. Whereas you can have photomodulation to drive down your insulin and increase your autophagy in the same coin on the other side is the EMFs that you're surrounded with all day that drives up your factor. So tell us a little bit about that, what you've learned with that. I'm, I'm really well, curious. No. Yeah. Yeah. That goes back to light. There's, and listen, there's good food. There's bad food. There's good exercise. There's, there's good movement. There's bad movement. You know um, you can have the same thing with light. And, and one of the things that we have found, so, when you start taking a look, one of the benefits of light, when I, when, listen, where you live, I used to love go out and spend time on the beach. I mean, that's the beauty of, of where you live. Um, and when you have your clothes off and light is hitting the skin, you know, a lot of people just associate, you know, vitamin D development. I'm going to go out and get some vitamin D. Well, there's a lot more processes that take place with the different bands of light that come in at that time. One of those is what we know is that light stimulates mitochondrial performance. Now, the things that you were just talking about, when we're burning sugar, we're doing that in the cytosol, the middle of the cell, not in any of the organelles. 
But when we go into, when we start burning fats, proteins, and sugars through the mitochondria using lots of oxygen, that's happening in the mitochondria. What we know is that there are bands of light that stimulate mitochondrial health. Um, and this is where some of these red light, near-infrared light, red light therapies come into play. A lot of times when you see pain, pain will be associated with a lack of mitochondrial performance. As you use these red lights, it will lower pain response. And I think I probably talked about this, that, um, you know, I'm a type two diabetic. I'm a very insulin resistant kind of a person. I have to, I have to pay attention to it. I'm not like, you know, a little, you know, one of these little burners. Um, I'm, you know, if the zombie apocalypse comes, I'm a very efficient fuel burner. Okay. You guys are going to have to be eating a lot. I'm just going to be able to move through and keep my energy. So I have that advantage after the apocalypse. Um, but with you'll have all a, a tough withdrawal stage though i'll have to tell you like you'll go through like the crackhead you know having to get used to it but once Listen, you get I, over i'm the already house, fast i'm already okay. fasting i'm already preparing for it right um <laughs> but um but when we take a look at that um mitochondria is what drives those equations and so I, I, I had a, a surgery a, a year ago in September and I, and I got very ill. I got a MRSA infection from the surgery and literally I went from where I was riding my bike, uh, three to five hours a week to where I couldn't get out of bed for nine weeks. Um, and that, that listen, you knock that much movement out of my life and it, may, it has a huge, my blood sugars took off. You know, I was hospitalized for a period of time. They thought, I mean, they're, they're, they're giving me insulin, um, and this is the only time in my life I've ever taken insulin for what I do. And I, I was very ill. There's no two ways about it. But when I got out um, and I started to work my movement levels back up and I started to control my sugars with movement and diet more, um, what I found was sitting in front of red light therapy lowers my blood sugar as much as an insulin shot. Um, and this was, and this was what was really impressive for me. So this was one of the, the discoveries that we had coming through that. And, and again, you look at it, it's, it's not melting sugar out of your bloodstream. What it's doing is it's upregulating your mitochondria's ability to do that work, you know, so with a combination of some strength work, cause you, you know, you want to build that lean tissue, you know, the more lean tissue you have, the more sugar it can pull in as you upgrade the mitochondria. I do a lot of what I call zone two work. Um, you know, my athletes, when I'm training them, I typically train them the majority in zone three of a five zone system. Um, we spend a lot of time building three because you get the, the enzymatic benefits of cardiovascular fitness, as well as the mitochondria. You know what? I'm, I'm not, I'm not worried about wrestling. I'm not worried about fighting anymore. Um, I'll stick with just the mitochondrial development of exercise. So I'll stay in zone two. I give myself some compassion, give myself permission to train in zone two. So I do some strength work. I get a lot of zone two work in, but then I throw the red light therapy in on top of that to go ahead and give these mitochondria all the chance they have to be as efficient. And, 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 and then with improved autophagy, you know, one of the benefits of, of one of the triggers for autophagy is a molecule that's called spermidine. That's the company that that's the product that we sell. And what we know is, is that as spermidine levels go up, autophagy levels go up, mitochondrial health improves. We see this at a lot of levels. We see an improvement in immune response. We see an improvement in cardiovascular. We see an improvement in neural performance. Um, all those, which are, which are a benefit of autophagy. This is a, a spermidine stimulated supported autophagy. And that's one of the benefits of, of doing what we do. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I'm excited to, if you're able to share um, the, the some of the new developments that are going on with spermidine and higher dosing and relationships to sleeping. Um, but before we do that, just real quick, one of the the, the things that I was really excited to talk to you about when I saw you at the last biohacking conference, we talked about like one day seeing like uh, the future of, of not having to wait 15 to 17 years and having the gyms that are customized. So let me, let, let's kind of geek out together and say like, Hey, if we could design the, 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 I guess the metrics and not just working out for exercise sake, but for trainability and longevity, like you talk about with your first rock, what would the future healthcare slash wellness center um, entail? What would it have to be able to empower people to not rely on necessarily prescriptives, reactionary medications, but Hey, here's the way to really, you know, especially with your, our backgrounds, like physiology and exercise, you know, training and HRV and where, what are the possibilities, Don? Cause I was really excited when we talked about that last time. Well, listen, I think, I, I think the possibilities are dramatic and, you know, I sent, I have a really good functional medicine doctor I work with. He's a good friend of mine, really smart guy. And I sent him a note the other day and said, when are you going to take into consideration my exercise data, my HRV data, my continuous glucose monitor data, instead of looking at a hemoglobin A1C measurement done every two, four times a year? Um, He sent me, I can't tell you what he sent back. Um, but you know, so much of medicine is built around, here's the test, here's the response, here's the prescriptive process. And I don't want to take anything away from that, but with technology, we can get better at this. You know, I, I had a, I had a meeting earlier today with an old client of mine and he's, he's become a good friend. This guy's 82 years and he is as fit as he's, it's incredible. He went in to have cataract surgery done and, on the table while they're doing it, his heart rate dropped to 32 beats a minute. Um, the anesthesiologist comes out and says, like, listen, we can't do this. You need to go get worked up because, you know, they, they call that brachycardia. It's a low heart rate. This guy has, I've, I've seen this guy's performance. He's got a heart the size of an elephant. Um, he does, you know, when he's resting, his heart does not need to beat more than 30 times a minute. Um, because that's delivered. And then when you put him on an exercise routine, as it goes up, the heart rate responds. And this guy can go, this guy can train at a heart rate of 140. He has an accessible heart rate training range of 110 beats a minute. That's for an 82 year old. That's, that's an incredible number. And, and, and he's nervous about this. And I said, listen, you know, when you're resting, you're not dizzy, you're not passing out, you've got plenty of blood flow, you don't have anything to worry about, you know, go, go to a doctor and get it checked out, but you got to go to a doctor that understands where you're at. And, and he's spending a lot of time working with his Apple watch. So he got this Apple watch and this thing's reminding him several times a day, particularly when he's resting, his heart rate is dropped below 40 beats a minute. And, and the challenge is with people like this is that when you go to the doctor, they do a diagnosis that's typically statistical based. Uh, your response as it compared to the population is high, low, in between, whatever. This guy is third standard deviation, 99th percentile kind of a guy. And, and, and you have to do the diagnosis differently. 
This is where these functional medicine doctors come into play. And, you know, people like you, where I'm dealing with you in real time. And when you have access to real time data, or at least stored real time data, then you can make a lot of really good decisions. And, and Joel, I think about it, if I want to go see a medical professional, or a scientist, it's that data that gives them that give me the ability to help thrive, rather than just survive. When you go to your regular healthcare system, your regular healthcare doctor, once, twice, three times a year, and they do an RBC and they do the whole, your whole workup and you have your sugars and your hormones and your fats and so forth. That is survival medicine. That is okay. We don't see anything here that's going to kill you anytime soon. Um, but when you're working with someone on looking at HRV, looking at exercise patterns, looking at continuous blood sugar measurement, you know, I saw something the other day, I think they're going to have a wearable device that looks at ketones, which I'm really excited about. Um, you start, you know, listen, when that, when that thing shows me, uh, glucose and ketones together, man, we've really got a tool that we can use to tune thriving medicine into. Um, so I think that's where the two things go. It's, it's about, you know, do you want to go into a practice that, that's, that's going to keep you alive, you know, that's going to give you the risk of dying, or are you going to go into a practice that's going to give you the, the tools that you need to thrive? And, and frankly, that's where I like to be. Yeah, I love it. I, I, you know, and it's just as a, a harmless plug for we're building a coaching program where we integrate that data. So we can integrate their keto mojo and their glucose ketone index, their aura ring, a bio strap, uh, a Garmin device, the Apple watch. Uh, and then you're able to put, if you wanted to, uh, my fitness pal or chronometer, and you really start to see these regression analysis of corollaries that are common sense stuff. Like, oh my gosh, when I exercise, I, I have a better sleep or when I move more, it's not rocket science, right? Why that happens. But sometimes there are some aha moments, especially when you're tracking your glucose. And most people feel that they're hypoglycemic, they're going to fall and hit their head and go into a coma and their blood sugar is at 115, you know, like just, they don't, they don't understand that. So um, do you have a comment that you wanted to say on that? Well, yeah, and I, I think you take it another step, Joel, and from the standpoint that, um, uh, how do I put this? I want to be in a position where, I, again, I'm going to repeat myself a minute ago, that I want to thrive, I want to optimize. This is where, this is where the wearable technology really comes into play. And, and frankly, it just isn't touching traditional um, medicine right now. It's, they're starting to flirt with it. It's the functional medicine docs that get it. And that's where the real benefit comes from. And, 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 and you know, if, if that's what you want to do, this is where the, this is where, this is where you can go find that help. Yeah. Well, you know, just sort of bridging the gap of banging down the castle wall from the base, which we talked about <laughs> last time. Um, one of the things that can enlist the, the help of a super giant is having an insurance company understand the actuary tables of, hey, if these numbers are actually favorable and they correlate to less morbidity and mortality and more function and less claims for our insurance company, then we're going to reward you by giving back to you. So we say, I mean, that's a big ship in the ocean that has to turn very slowly, but I, I, I mean, I, I, to me, it's like, okay, you're saving mass millions of dollars on 
unnecessary, when I say unnecessary, preventable things that could have been empowered by the the person to take control of their health and understand these real-time lifestyle changes that will result in massive, especially with the, the tsunami of type two diabetes that's on, on, you know, on our front, why would an insurance company not want to reward someone um, for the money that they're saved and incentivize them to, to be healthy? I mean, it doesn't make sense to you. Does it, does well, it? Or we're, no? we're, we're starting to see that, but don't forget those castle walls are big and thick. Um, you yeah. know, insurance, right. healthcare, these, these institutions that we're talking about, you know, they're, 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 they're big, um, that there, there's a lot of, again, it's the ship on the ocean. There's a lot of momentum. They, they, it's, it's working for them the way it's working. You know, I, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily remember this about Boca, but if you drive around Columbus, Ohio, the majority of the big construction taking place is in our healthcare centers. You go over to Ohio State and Riverside and these big facilities, they're building, they're building institutions of illness um, the, the, to treat illness. And unfortunately, that's where the money's at. Uh, that's where the population's at. And that's where the money's at. So you can't, you can't wait for that to fix itself. Uh, yeah. You have to own this yourself. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, it's, it's been big, 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 profitable, like bust, like boom years for the last two years in those industries. And, sure. uh, for, you know, for a reason, um, there was something that I was going to say in that in a second, but I, I kind of forgot. But as far as like, what's new with Spermidine in terms of some exciting developments, uh, research oh. that you guys are doing? Yeah, there's a there's we, we have a we have some really good research that's been published uh, relatively recently. One of the really good articles I since we talked was the was the COVID article. So you know what what we know is that when you take a look at the COVID virus, um, there's no doubt that when it infects a cell, one of the first things it interferes with is the autophagy pathways. What the research has shown us is that the COVID virus overstimulates the beginning of the autophagy process where it's creating uh, and, and the way the beginning of the autophagy process works normally is there's something in the cell there's a protein there's an oral organelle there's a virus there's a bacteria and the cell then creates this double wall uh vacuole that surrounds it it's called an autophagome and then that autophagome bonds to what's called a lysosome which is all the 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 enzymes that digest the stuff in there um well, COVID overstimulates that autophagion production. So it gives the place for the virus to replicate. Then it interferes with the, with the lysosomal connection to that. So it just builds up in the cell. And what, what the research shows is that if you, so we know that there's at least 59 different proteins involved in the autophagy process. We know different things can stimulate besides an immune response stimulating uh, autophagy while well, fasting can exercise can heat can there's a lot of ways to do this um so what one of the benefits that we see is that as you upregulate autophagy via uh uh spermidine supplementation it lowers the ability of that of that covid virus to reproduce in the cell um we have a really interesting study that came out in berlin that showed that the human immune cells supplemented with spermidine stopped covid transmission 85 90 92 percent of the time um, so, and when you start to take a look at, 
at people who perf- who did not do well with COVID versus those who had no impact, you start to look at comorbidities. You know, this thing they've talked about the whole time, diabetics, inflama- inflamed, uh, high blood pressure. These are the folks that really suffered. Well, these are the people that had poor autophagy um, from just normal lifestyle process. So th- this was a really interesting study. You know, one of the other things that we see emerging that's kind of interesting, you know, we, we tend to geek out on morbidity and mortality, but the rest of the world wants just to look good, right? Um, and um, when you start taking a look, you know, beauty doesn't start, they, they, beauty is more than skin deep, I would like to say. Um, and it starts with that cellular health in those, in those cells that make your skin, make your nails. This is what we call the epithelial cells. And what we know is with spermidine supplementation, there's an upregulation of stem cell production in the epithelial cells. So those cells that you want that make you beautiful, they, there's more of them when you're supplementing and your autophagy levels are high. And, and, that's, and, then, and then finally, the, the, the last big study that we saw was, was really interesting with spermidine supplementation. We saw uh, a, the, a, a lack of decline in dementia, meaning that we had two groups uh, with dementia, with some level of dementia. One group got a placebo, one group got spermidine. The, sper- the group that got the placebo got worse. The, um, the group that got spermidine stayed the same. They, they, they didn't get worse. Um, so you start to see that performance. Listen, I think we have to solve this dementia, Alzheimer's, neural, neural you know, it's, it's just, it's so difficult when someone winds up in that. And if, you, if you're going to fast, stop fasting to lose weight, just stop, just, just don't do it anymore. Um, start fasting to improve immune response, fast to improve cardiovascular response, fast to improve neural response, fast to be more beautiful because you have an upregulation of epithelial stem cells. And, and damn it, you're going to look better. Yeah, for sure. But, and you know, the, the thing is though, on the, on the fasting thing, especially as being insulin resistant, it's not going to, you need to work with someone that understands the, the transition. I mean, I, I, I get the idea of going to a 12 hour window, but when your body doesn't recognize the, the ability to tap into your stored fat, even though it, I say it's like a tanker, it's like a gas tanker at the side of the road that ran out of gas in its own tank. And it has thousands of gallons of gas right. to be able to tap into, and it doesn't know how to do that. And, and you could lower the transition period by healthy support for your flora and hydrogen sulfide and lots of other ways to, to help that process. So don't just sort of put, you know, buy running shoes and say, I'm going to run the marathon tomorrow. It takes, it takes a little bit of sophistication, but I agree with you. And you know, the Absolutely. irony is, is that you watch those commercials of, you know, this drug or that drug, and along with a healthy diet and regular exercise, this drug will really help you. And I always find like, they should just say along with the diet and a healthy exercise, you don't need the drug and you'll do well. But what's really great about spermidine is along with a healthy diet and exercise, this actually will make the difference, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There's and, and, and we know that what we know is that you get spermidine and spermidine works in your cells from three different places. Number one is that it'll be created in the gut and transported into the body. Number two, you get it dietarily. But number three is it will be it will be um, generated what's called de novo in the cell um, on demand. What we know is that that de novo production declines with age. 
So you've got to replace it with, with, with dietary. And we know that when you do replace it dietarily, the, the levels stay high. Um, and that's one of the, and that's one of the big benefits. And, and again, I, for your audience, you know, listen, I've worked in the fitness business since 1986. Uh, when I got out of grad school, I started running my first health club and we've been working it and, and we've always referred to dieting as less calories, trying to drive the calories down. And frankly, it's not worked. And what I want people to start thinking about is that when you start thinking of your calories, I want you to condense them. I don't want you to compress them. I want you to condense them and then pay attention. That condensing of the calories is where the health benefits. It's not here, it's here. And I think this is important to pay attention to. At the same time, get the necessary molecules. We have, we have a lot of good science showing us that this is a particular nutrient that's necessary. You know, we're applying for what's called medical food uh, claim status. And what it says is that you can't get enough spermidine in a regular diet in order to prevent the onset of some of these inflammatory diseases. Um, so uh, you, know, you can go out. We're actually trying to coordinate a research study. I really want a researcher somewhere. And if there's a, someone listening to this working into a lab that can measure polyamines, I want you to go to Whole Foods. I want you to pick up mushrooms. I want you to pick up some broccoli. I want you to pick up the high spermidine foods. And it, it's in the papers. And I want you to go into your lab and I want you to measure how much spermidine is in them. Because the indications that we're getting is it's very low. And in, in the agriculture environment that we live in, we raise food for production. So we're looking at carbohydrates, fats, proteins, things like that. We're not necessarily looking at the micronutrients. And spermidine is one of those nutrients that's gone by the wayside that we've just got to get supplemented. And when you do, it makes it better. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the atrocity of like going back to the 30s and having depletion of the soils, you know, it's, it's crazy. So, so, you know, I've changed the name of the podcast show to The Truth About Your Health. And I, I really like to, to be somewhat, I won't say controversial, but attack certain concepts that are taken sacredly and, and maybe topple them over and, and redefine what health is and really chip, give chip the, away the castle a little bit. Yeah, right. I'm going to knock it down. I will. So I'm like uh, Andy and Shawshank Redemption, right? So um, <laughs> as far as um, let me ask you this, though, the new question that I have is, you know, the tr what truth about health that you didn't always know that was, would you say, the maybe sticks out in your mind, given you have, like, I'm always interested to hear your answer. You have the rocks and you have the purpose and you have exercise, not so much for vanity, but for, for functionality. Um, but what would you say in terms of all of those things, anything else that's unique in terms of a truth about health that you've kind of had aha moments where it kind of was a sacred cow for you being tipped over and, and, and being re rethought of. Well, you know, I go back to, I go back to, and I, I think about when I was working in a sports medicine practice back in the um, late eighties, early nineties, and we had a, a surgeon in that practice that came in with this crazy idea that you could eat fat and protein. You didn't need carbohydrates, um, and, and I thought to myself, you've lost your mind. Um, because the, we, I just finished up a, a master's degree. And what I was told is that carbohydrates are pristine. I mean, these are, these are critical. And when you start to take a look at, at the Adkins process, um, you know what, he was right. 
um, and, and, you know, his name was Dr. Ray Tesner. And I don't think I've ever told him this, but, you know, I thought he was crazy back then. But when we start to take a look at this, you know what, you can, you can get through life without refined carbohydrates. And in fact, your performances are going to improve. And, and when we start to take a look at this with relationship to healthy lifestyle, you know, I, I walk into CVS to pick up scripts and so forth. And you walk past aisles and aisles and aisles of processed glucose. Okay. Why? Number one, we like it. It tastes good. Uh, number two, it's cheap. It has great shelf life. Um, it's a great business model. It is a horrible health model. And, and this is the challenge. And we can't expect big business to do what's in our best interest. We can't expect the insurance companies and healthcare to necessarily do what's in our best interest. We have to own that. And I think this is the process is that, you know, when I go into my doctor, I go in with questions and I challenge them. Tell me about this. Why does this work this way? And, you know, it's gotten to the point where I've got to take his last appointment of the day or his staff is pissed at me because I'm, because I'm, I'm going in, Joel, I, my, my daughter moved out of our house in, in January 2nd. It's now January 26th. We've been, I, my wife and I moved into the third phase of our life a little over three weeks ago. We've got almost four weeks in our third phase of our life. Um, I want this to be a long phase for me. I, I'm, I, I, I've, I've made the statement. I've had the chance of coaching some amazing athletes. I've, I've coached Olympic medalists, Olympic gold medalists, silver and bronze, multiple sports. I've worked with all Americans. I've worked with some phenomenal humans without a doubt the best coaching experience I ever had was coaching my daughter's eighth grade field hockey team. It was wonderful. I took the, I took the second team. We worked together. We made huge progress. Joel, I'm looking forward to coaching my grandchildren. That's what I'm looking forward to. And I want to be that crazy grandfather that is like, holy, you know, they're holy shit. Who is this guy? I want to be that person. I don't, you know, as, as a, as a long-term type two diabetic, I have to pay attention to a lot of stuff. I have to be careful about the impact of glucose in my system because I'm now moving into the phase of my life. When it goes bad, it goes really bad. Um, and I just can't afford to do that. So I have to own it. This is the thing that, that, that has really impressed. And you know what you and I may have very similar practices, but there may be, it varies. You may be vegan. I may be carnivore. Neither of those is wrong, but we need to get all of our food from fresh sources. Um, this is important. Um, it's, 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 it's fair to believe that with the genetic diversity that we have, I can have a carnivore and I can have a vegan and they can both be healthy because of the genetic diversity. That's okay. You got to figure out what works for you and using monitoring, whether it be HRV or blood sugar, or these things that are coming along with the physician becoming an advisor, not a director. You are the director of what you do. Um, let these people be advisors to you, but you've got to own your process. Yeah, and those are all great answers for sure. I'm just trying to tie back. So had you with that truth about health, I guess it took you a while to realize he was right, or do you wish you would have learned it earlier with everything that you just said? Oh, or, you know what? Yeah. I, the, 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 thing that really, the, the thing that really brought it around to me, I was reading um, Good Calories by Bad Calories by um, Lustig, the author here in a minute, um, um, Gary Traub great book. Uh, if you, if you want to understand where things went sideways, 
Gary's done a good job of looking at that. And I looked at that and I started thinking, ah, this information that they were giving us back in the early and mid eighties, this was really based on a lot of that Ansel keys and the stuff coming out of the government. And it was being my, and being driven by big food by big. And, and when I say big food, big food are companies that sell processed carbohydrates. Um, the, and, and you know what, listen, I, I Gatorade, there's, there's not a single research study out there showing Gatorade improves athletic performance over water. Um, you know what, but they do a hell of a job marketing it. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a carbohydrate marketing company. Um, and, and this is the thing is that when you walk into, when you walk into that store, you know, you go driving and you walk in and here's rows of, of, of Coca-Cola and Pepsi-Cola and Gatorade, all carbohydrate delivery systems. And when we start to take a look at this, this is a problem. Yeah, I guess the, the extrapolation is the truth about health is, and I learned it too with my exercise physiology background, is the carbohydrate model, it, not all carbs are created equal, number one, but also like who's sponsoring the curriculum, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So anyways, um, always interesting talking to you. Definitely love the the vibe that you have and wish you the best in your, in your third phase, your longest of all three and, and enjoyment and fulfillment and nothing but good health for you. I will, last time we talked, you gave me a, a discount link so that I can put that link in our it still works. Um, show notes. Yeah. So for people to get, and um, yeah, I'll be interested. I'll be speaking in um, in March in, in, in Vegas as well. So oh, good. we'll, we'll see you and your, your Dr. Martins. And, uh, I look forward to, uh, touching base with you again. I, I pick, I picked up two more pair in the last six months. So I'm good. That's what 18 now or what? I'm 17. I've 17, 17 unique pairs of right. Doc Martins. That's kind of my thing. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, listen, we'll, we'll catch you up with you uh, again and, um, nothing but best for you and, and, and your family. Thanks, Joel. We appreciate the time and the opportunity. You're welcome. Talk to you later. Thanks for tuning into today's Truth About Your Health podcast, where our mission is to expose the truth about adrenal fatigue to burnt out men and women so that we can empower 100 million people to go from exhausted to energized. If you've liked what you've heard today and you're interested to see if this is a good fit for you to work with our Truth About Adrenal Fatigue recovery program, here's what to do next. Head on over to the truth about adrenal fatigue.com, all one word, forward slash podcast, forward slash booking. Again, the truth about adrenal fatigue.com, forward slash podcast, forward slash booking, and book an appointment to speak to one of our team members. Here's how it works we'll get on the phone with you for about 45 minutes and get crystal clear on three things. Number one, where exactly are you right now with your health? What's working? Troubleshoot everything that you're doing or not doing. And most importantly, figure out what's being missed and how much it's impacting you. On the flip side, we'll then tell you what would your health be like if it was solved and what would you be doing differently and what would that look like? So that by the end of the call, we will tell you everything that we think you need to do to bridge that gap and do it quickly. If we feel like you're a good fit for what we do, we'll tell you exactly how that will work. 
but there's no obligation to have to do any further work together. That way, no matter what happens, the call is going to give you tremendous value, hope, and direction. Remember, getting your energy back just won't happen by itself. And our mission is to empower 100 million people to go from exhausted to energized, as we've been helping coaching clients all over the world be able to transform their lives. Isn't it time for you to transform yours? Head on over to thetruthaboutadrenalfatigue.com forward slash podcast forward slash booking and book your discovery call today.